What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to episode 357 with my guest Kelly McCarran. Uh, this episode is sponsored by the Hilarious World of Depression podcast. It's a very funny podcast about a very unfunny thing. In Hilarious World, which actually won the best comedy podcast in the Webby Awards, John Moe and some of the top names in comedy and entertainment try to understand the mysterious connection between comedy and despair by talking through their own personal experiences with clinical depression. In the latest season, you'll hear honest conversations with comedian Margaret Cho, Neil Brennan, the author John Green, actor Will Wheaton, and many others. It's a side of comedy you've never experienced before. So listen and subscribe to The Hilarious World of Depression on Apple Podcasts and at hilariousworld.org. I am Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads. From medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas and sexual dysfunction, to everyday compulsive negative thinking. Uh, this show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist. Uh, it's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. This show is part interview and uh, part uh, listener confession uh, through the surveys that you guys fill out. If you haven't ever filled out surveys for uh, for the podcast, it, uh, it helps greatly. Um, so please go do that. There's about a dozen different uh, surveys that you can fill out. You can find them at our website, which is uh, mentalpod.com. Uh, those of you that are monthly Patreon donors, um, I had mentioned in last week's episode, um, I ended the episode reading a happy moment from an Austrian woman um, who ha- is raising bunnies, and um, I asked her for pictures, and so she gave me some pictures of her with her bunnies, and uh, I just posted them uh, on the thing for Patreon donors. Um, oh, here's a cool thing. Uh, the Amazon search link that I've told you guys about before, uh, which helps raise money for the show. If you're going to buy something at Amazon, you, essentially you click on the little Amazon logo on our homepage and um, it takes you to Amazon. And then if you buy something, Amazon gives us 
uh, a percentage of their income from it. And it doesn't make what you're buying any more expensive. And it used to be that it was just for the United States, but they've expanded and it's now for the UK and Canada. So um, go uh, when you next do your next Amazon shopping, if you could click on that, that helps keep the podcast uh, going. Uh, a couple of notes about this episode. Uh, I often don't epi- air episodes uh, for months uh, sometimes even years after I record them. And this is an episode that has never been aired, and it was recorded way back in 2014. Do, do you guys even remember 2014? I think I was still doing the podcast on horseback back then. There was a, there was a lot of mic jiggling. I remember that. Um, talked about some cool stuff in therapy uh, this week. Um, we, as I've mentioned before, uh, one of the sponsors for uh, this podcast is betterhelp.com. And, um, let me tell you a little bit about them before I tell you what I talked about in therapy. Uh, that just sounded like a teenage girl. Uh, go to, uh, betterhelp.com slash mental. Um, you can fill out a questionnaire and they'll match you up with a betterhelp.com counselor and you can experience a free week of counseling to see if online counseling is right for you. You need to be over 18. Uh, And I've been doing it for about a year. And uh, as I say every week, I love my therapist. Her name's Donna. She's awesome. Uh, Once a week, we get together for 45 minutes and video chat. Sometimes we'll uh, um, message back and forth throughout the week. She'll ask me how I'm doing or if I have something I want to share, I'll message her. But... um, the topic of therapy in this week, uh, this week's session was she asked me to think about leaps of faith that that I've made in my life, and immediately five sprang to mind. And the first one was making the decision to change my major from um, pre med uh, to theater. That was a fun phone call home. Actually, my parents were incredibly supportive, but um, I forget about that one sometimes. And I look at the life that I have um, created for myself, uh, and I, I'm amazed that that frightened 20 or 21-year-old kid took such a big leap of faith. Um, Getting sober was a big leap of faith. Cutting contact with my mom was a big leap of faith. Deciding to do this podcast full-time was a huge leap of faith. And thank God uh, for you guys uh, helping to support it because I wouldn't wouldn't be able to do it. But honestly, as I started thinking about these things, two things occurred to me. Number one, I think we forget to look back at at the good things that we've done, the times that we've been brave, and give ourselves credit for it. Um, I, as I look back at these these moments of faith, I felt like, wow, I'm I'm not as frightened of a person as I think I am. Yes, I have fears, uh, and you'll hear a good fear off and love off at the end of this episode with uh, with Kelly. And did the interview with her. Oh, I got some fucking doozies. Um, but I'm not that frightened, um, as frightened as I think I am. And I encourage you guys 
to find some quiet time this week and look back at the good things you've done in your life. They don't have to be huge, but I think you'll find that you have more character than you think you do because we tend to just think about the mistakes or the moral failings or those other things. And that's not that's not the sum of, of who we are. And honestly, you know what a leap of faith is for those of us that live with depression or anxiety? Getting out of fucking bed is a leap of faith. So if you got out of bed today and you didn't want to, give yourself a pat on the back. Seriously. I ain't fucking around. All right. I want to tell you guys about Quip. Did you know that having good oral health impacts your overall health? It's true. It's true. The plaque that builds up in your teeth can actually go to your heart and cause uh, heart disease. Uh, and most of us, let's be honest, don't really brush our teeth how we're supposed to. The dentist starts yakking and we're like, yeah, yeah, whatever, just get me out of here. But Quip is a new company that is changing the way people brush their teeth. It's an electronic toothbrush that packs a whole lot of vibration and a timer into a super slim little design that is half the cost of bulkier uh, electric toothbrushes. And honestly, it looks like Steve Jobs designed a toothbrush, uh, but without the the hefty price tag. And you got to see it. It, I like it. I can get back into the little nooks and crannies behind my wisdom teeth. Um, It's it's nice. Uh, You can even subscribe and uh, get new brush heads on a dentist-recommended three-month plan for just five bucks, including free shipping. Uh, Quip's uh, backed by leading dentist, and it was named one of Time Magazine's Best Inventions of 2016, and they won a 2016 GQ Grooming Award, and they made it on Oprah's 2017 New Year's O-List. Quip starts at just 25 bucks. So right now, go to getquip.com slash metal and get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com dot com slash mental get quip.com slash mental and quip is spelled q u i p okay uh before we get to the uh, survey with kelly i just want to read two happy moments you know i've i've uh mentioned all the time on the podcast how um the surveys tend to clump into um themes over the stretch of a week or two weeks, a bunch of people in a row will fill out a particular survey and this pattern emerges that is endlessly fascinating to me. And I found most of them in the happy moment um, surveys. Uh, so I'm going to be reading um, uh, quite a few of those in the, in the surveys uh, after uh, the interview. But here's two of them. Uh, this first one is uh, filled out by uh, a woman who calls herself Young Meatloaf OG. And it's just a, it's a short one. Uh, my friend slash ex-boyfriend slash ex-fuck buddy hit me up after not talking to me for months. He asked me what my PayPal was because he wanted to send me $60. The message he sent with it said, for therapy, not cocaine. <laughs> There's actually more to that, but honestly, that's, you know, I learned as a comic, go out on a big laugh. And then this is a happy moment filled out by a a trans male 
who calls himself Baked in Alaska. And uh, he writes, uh, there was this time that I decided to surprise my girlfriend with three different desserts, apple tarts, brownies, and chocolate hazelnut cookies. I used to love baking while I had identified as a girl, but since I realized that I was trans, I was afraid that my love of baking somehow condemned me as a faker. How could I be a boy if I loved baking so much? So I pushed it down. A few years into my transition, feeling much more confident in who I was, I decided I would surprise her to a buffet of baked goods. I finally felt good in my own skin, and I could do something nice for the woman I loved. Turns out, my girlfriend loves a man who can bake. I'm so scared of being alive and so scared of dying. I was so, so lonely, but I couldn't bear being around people, and it hurt. I've just been, like, very interested in dicks. I don't know how to let loose and just be. All my alters have different handwriting, different... Extremely anxious. Affects. I am most turned on when I am in fear. My first thought was I'm about to die. Stomach-clutching despair. Ocean of sadness. I came out over the phone to them. I put myself on the Akinzaya in fourth grade. They told me I was wrong. The secrecy is what kills us. And I just sat there and cried on his shoulder. And it was the first time I ever felt safe, like a weight lifted off of me. In order to get rid of your anger, you have to learn how to cry. I started liking myself for the first time. I'm afraid that people are only nice to me because they're afraid I'll kill myself if they're not. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> that is fantastic. I'm here with Kelly McCarran. You gave me some broad strokes of, of some of the issues that, that you deal with, uh, mm-hmm. ADHD, uh, mild bipolar, some social anxiety. Yes. Um, nothing really traumatic in your in your background to to point to, though, right? Uh, no, uh, parents still married, love each other, so that was normal. No, uh, no abuse from them. Yeah. Um, nothing, yeah, nothing uh, traumatic, no sexual abuse or anything like that. Mm-hmm. To point to so well i thought you were kind enough to let me know that you had taken the shame and secrets uh, survey and um and so i asked you would you be okay with us reading that just yeah. to start off the the show totally fine uh why don't why don't you read it sure no problem so um start off let's see um let's see so um Let's see. Have you ever been a victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happens. I don't know if it counts as sexual abuse. Let's let's start with the other stuff. Uh, you're, you're how old? Um, oh yeah. So I am. Uh, uh, I'm a female. I'm 27. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. So and on the other page, it's, it has. I, I kind of jump around. I don't. Okay. I don't read them. Oh, in I order. see that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, environment I was raised in stable and safe. Um, where else do you want me to go to? Uh, straight. Straight, uh, yes, I'm straight. Um, I think that that's it. And then, uh, ever been the victim of, of, of uh, sexual, sexual abuse. abuse? Some stuff happens. I don't know if it counts as sexual abuse. I was 18 and drinking at a party with coworkers. One of my male coworkers, someone I'd consider a friend at the time, who was also drunk, pulled me aside in the bathroom. We started making out, which was fine by me. Then he was making advances that he wanted to go further, and I didn't want to. I was so tired from drinking, it was hard to fully stand my ground. I just kept saying I had to go, and he said I didn't. I was conflicted because the way he was touching me made me feel good, but I didn't want it to go any further. It wasn't much longer until I got out of there, but fortunately nothing else had happened. Mm -hmm. So it kind of is sexual abuse, but at the same time it's like 
It was confusing because it felt good, but it, then it was like, oh, I don't want this to go any further. It's, it, it's kind of it's like very confusing, and like you're 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 so drunk and tired that it's like it's hard to make it like, hey, stop this. But then, yeah, um, fortunately, it didn't get any further than heavy petting, um, and I was able to get out of the situation. Um, and that so- seems to. It seems to me, my you know, my take on that is it was you were on the on ramp to yeah. uh, sexual uh, abuse. Although the, yeah. the 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 heavy petting stuff was that was that unwanted, or what would happen after that unwanted? It was, was basically. I mean, it. I, I hate the phrase heavy, heavy petting. petting. Yeah, finger blasting's a little. Uh, yeah, it was uh, weird because it's like, mm-hmm. oh, this feels good, but it's like mm-hmm. I don't want to do this with this person. Mm-hmm. That's the best way I guess I can describe it. It's like. I don't want to do this with you. Like, well, you know, to me that that, that so is if you it's if very you, confusing if you, if you say no mm-hmm. and that person is still pressing mm-hmm. and even if it feels good, you know, I think that's yeah, I think that's still abusive. Abusive, yeah. And the thing that's tough when is because there's this gray area. I mean, what are, what are your thoughts on this as you as you read this and you and you think back to it? Um, I don't know. It's just. Um it's just weird. It's just something that, to me, it's just kind of like a little footnote in my life. And um, to me, it's it's something that, you know, I hope that, you know, like I have a younger sister. I hope that she, you know, she's in college and I hope that she's never in a predicament like that. And mm-hmm. I hope that, you know, other people can learn, like, don't ever put yourself in a situation where you, you can, even though mine was very minor, there's other girls who have unfortunately been in worse situations like don't ever be vulnerable to a situation like that. Um, it was scary, and it didn't get nearly as bad as other people have been in situations before. Um, and I was, it's it's kind of an eye-opening situation. Like, wow, I could have gotten in a lot worse situation. Um, so it was like, wow, I need to be careful. Do you do you remember the next day thinking or feeling anything? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I was, I didn't like how it, I didn't like the, I didn't like the, I didn't like being around him. Um, I felt uncomfortable. Um, I, that to me is usually a sign that, 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 that can yeah. be considered sexual abuse. Yeah. Um, I didn't know or what violation, to do. Or violation, you yeah. know, whatever, whatever you want to call yeah, it. Yeah, I didn't know how to handle it and I didn't know what to do with myself about it. Yeah, it was icky. And I, <laughs> and I think of something I'd certainly like people to understand, because there are people that don't understand this, is somebody can be attracted to you but not want to go to a certain... And I certainly know that sound, sounds really obvious, but they can be attracted to you but not be comfortable with what you're comfortable with sexually. Mm-hmm. And you know, I couldn't really understand that like when I was when I was college aged. I you know, like if a girl had a, a a crush on me, it to me it was just a matter of, well, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna have to wear down the idea she has that she shouldn't be having sex. It never occurred to me that she wasn't physically ready to have sex yet even though she liked me Mm -hmm. it was i believed that every person wants to have sex and it was only society's idea that sex is wrong that i needed to assuage her Mm -hmm. uh, of and i think a lot of people 
have that idea. And, and reading these surveys, a lot of women that abuse men who are have trouble speaking up for themselves because I've read many of these surveys where men uh, they won't call it rape but it was rape they yeah. they were aroused and the woman took their penis and, and put it inside them and they said that they didn't want to be doing this and the woman didn't care and they they that to me shows that there are there is I'm having trouble explaining this that everybody has their own experience that they bring to it of what they want and it's a really dangerous area to try to get into thinking you know what that other person wants right but just isn't saying or needs to be um i don't think the guy who did it is a bad person either i i think that he was drunk and i think he got let his hormones get the and his and him being drunk get the better of him and not realize the situation either. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm I'm pretty good friends with his family, and I I don't think he's that person either. Have you seen him since then? Um, in passing. Um, What's it like when you see him? I I still remember it, but I haven't had like conversations about it with him either. I don't even know if he would remember it. Do you get a? Like, does your stomach tighten? Do you, does your skin crawl? What do you, what do you feel when you see him or you just shut down or what? I just, I mean, I, I just, yeah, I just think about it and I just, just don't really, um, because I usually see him with his family and I just kind of talk to the other members of the family. I kind of Mm -hmm. just ignore him. Is it to to protect yourself or just because you're not interested? Because it's kind of like awkward. Like that's all I think about. So it's like. Mm I, I don't know. To me, it's awkward. So it's like, I don't know if that's what he he remembers that too. So it's like, I don't know if he remembers it. And if he does, what he thinks about it. So to me, it's like, hey, remember that awkward situation we had in the bathroom? <laughs> like, want to talk about that? You want to make that? Wanna, <laughs> do you want to s- stroll down memory lane there? <laughs> do you want to square the intensity of that awkwardness? by? But you know what? It, it will probably be very... If he has any insight about it, even if he didn't, I think if you wanted to speak your mind and said, hey, that that hurt me, yeah. what what you did. I I think, yeah, part of it is I think oh, girls just want to please a guy so much, but at the same time, they want their needs met. So even if they don't want to do something, they still want to at the same time please the guy. So it's like, yeah, I don't want to go any further with this guy but i don't want to disappoint him either so how do i at the do both how do i do both how do i make him like me and not disappoint him but get what i want at the same time you know it's it's this tightrope which of, is which what and what you wanted was a little bit of intimacy with y- him yeah some, some like, affection yeah some. how do i i want him to like me but i don't want to you know, go any further physically with him. Well, if I don't go any further physically with him, he's not going to like me. It's They're always trying to see what else they can get, what else they can get. And it's like, it's like, you're kind of, and like sometimes you want that too. You want that too. But then it's, it's where's the, where's your line? You have to figure out what you want to, because you know what they want. They're very clear about that. You have, sometimes it's hard to figure out what you want. Mm-hmm. As a woman, I'm still trying to figure out, like, I think in my, 
earlier early 20s it was like well i would just kind of just go all the way because i was like well everything feels good so i'll just if it feels good i'll just go with it and then now i'm getting older i'm like i try to figure out where do i draw the line with the new guy like and i'm still trying to figure out that do you ask yourself what is it that you want or is it filtered through what you feel you need to do to keep him interested it's it's kind of both i feel like what do i want and then Sometimes I feel like, well, if sometimes I feel like, well, I feel like I want to go. I'll feel like, well, I, I like everything. I like going all the way. Like, why not do that? But then I feel like, but if I go all the way, like on the first date, like, how am I going to keep him interested? I think about that. I, you know, mm-hmm. but I'm like, well, screw that. Like, that's old fashioned. I think of of way of thinking and. You know, I should do what I want, but then I go back to thinking, well, maybe I should wait three dates or, you know, whatever. And it's and it's so confusing. (laughs) Yeah. There's so so many rules and non-rules and like trying to figure out. I don't like I don't know what I want. Like, you know, my my thought on that is and this never applied to me as a as a younger man. So fuck me. But. (laughs) I think ideally it would be that you want to feel like you've exchanged a little part of your souls in a non-sexual way mm-hmm. before you bring the sex into it so that there's some type of platform right. that it the sexuality is re- resting on instead of the f- the foundation being uh, a, a sexual experience because, um, <laughs> you know, like I remember having sex with a, with a girl and then afterwards, like all these racist things coming out of her mouth and just being like, you know, I probably would have still, I was so desperate as yeah. a young man, I probably would have still had sex with her anyway. Mm-hmm. But I just remember thinking, oh, I just had sex with somebody who I have no respect for. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I, I do that. I mean, I definitely like want to make sure, I think personality does play into it, like want to have some sort of connection with you but then yeah it's it's where you know do you do you, you walk me to my door and do we just kiss goodnight or do i invite you in for a little bit and then do i send you home or do you stay over you know like what are the steps or or have you ever felt very clear about what it is that you want and just push aside what it is that he wants as far as how, how far you're willing. So, sometimes I've like, um, I was like in my mind, I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I was like, okay, I'm not gonna, you know, sleep around until I have a commitment. <laughs> and then I went out with this one guy and he, I didn't realize at the time, but he was just telling me everything I wanted to hear. Um, but, and he was gorgeous and we'd really had a connection. I thought it was, but he was just, it turned out he was just telling me what I wanted to hear. And then I took him home <laughs> and I was like, screw that rule. I felt everything I wanted to feel and I took him home. <laughs> Did you like, regret it later? Uh, not in the moment. No, I was like, this was fun. I had a good time. So was there regret later when you it dawned on you that he wasn't being truthful? Um, I mean, I guess probably not because I had fun, but it was just kind of like he just turned out to be a horrible person. <laughs> <laughs> but the sex was good. Yeah. Yeah. But, and he just turned out to be a horrible person. And like he was gonna lie to me anyways. Yeah. That, that was my experience with that with yeah. that girl. Was yeah. the sex was great, but yeah, yeah she's a, You're a horrible person. <laughs> a horrible person. Yeah. 
Um, I got a good story out of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, anything else about that experience that uh, that you'd you'd like to share before we move on to um, another part of the survey? No, those. Okay. Uh, let's see. Um, oh, this is gonna get good. <laughs> Have you ever been physically or emotionally abused? If you're comfortable sharing what happened, um, not physically abused, but emotionally abused. Um, my older brother made me feel like he'd rather not have me around. He's two years older than me, and we have two younger siblings. Um, we both have relationships with our younger siblings, but not with each other. In high school, I tried to reach out to create a bond with him, with him, uh, some kind of bond with him before he left for college, and he did not respond to me. I stopped trying. I decided that even though he's my brother, if someone doesn't want a relationship with me, uh, I'm going to stop trying. I got to the, it got to the point where we wouldn't even speak to each other or acknowledge the other's existence in the room. Our parents tried to make us get along, but we're both stubborn and it never worked. Recently at family functions, my brother would talk to me as if nothing happened between us. He'll send me Christmas gifts. I'll tell my mom to return them. I can't move on as if nothing has happened uh, I need him to acknowledge all the years of emotional turmoil he's put me through and to apologize for it before we can act all buddy-buddy. I honestly don't know if I'll ever have a relationship with him. Um, I can't imagine what that would be like because I've never had one with him in 27 years. The other person that emotionally abused me was a guy I was seeing. It started out as a guy I was sleeping with, and then it started, and then I started to like him. He played games with me, but I allowed him to do that because he was the first guy to show interest in me. He showed me interest and I'd show it back and then he'd disappear for a month. Then he'd show up again as if he didn't leave me hanging. After knowing him for six months or so, he had ignored me for four months and then I invited him to go to Tokyo with me. And it was great. We planned and went on our trip together. I thought about us being a couple. He said he'd only be my boyfriend if I had to fulfill one of his fantasies, which was to let me, which was to let him and five other guys gangbang me. So I was so weak-minded and desperate back then that I actually thought about it. Of course I didn't. I was 23 when I met him, and this went on for about two years, on and off, until I finally changed my number. He sounds like a keeper. Yeah. I think you should go back. And I, actually, I think the six of you should, seven of you yeah. should live in a house. Yeah. And... uh MTV could do a spinoff mm -hmm. show. Um, yeah, so. Let's talk about your brother yeah. first. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's probably such a common thing that 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 wall up between two two siblings, and it's just so easy to just keep sweeping that under the carpet. Yeah. What do you What are you thinking or feeling as you read that back? Um, it's something that I've been thinking about a lot. I'm actually writing. Um, I've written a script about it, um, but it's a comedy, so it's. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but. Um, yeah, um, we just always, as growing up as kids, we, you know, he'd play tricks on me and stuff like that. Um, it started off just like kind of regular, like brother sister playing tricks on things, but then he got kind of mean about his tricks. He would, um, one time he, uh, so I don't know if you remember, like there was this kid show, all that, and they were doing a search, which ended up being where they discovered Amanda Bynes, but, um, I wanted to submit myself for the search. And, uh, I got a letter saying that I won. <laughs> And uh, it was signed and everything, like typed up from mm -hmm. the president. It, my brother set that up. Um, That's incredibly cruel. Yeah. Like, and I was like, I thought I won. And he's like, no, I did it. He like typed it up. He was like nine at the time. He was like nine yeah. or 10. He like typed it up. So you like, were like seven? Did like, a, yeah, I was like, I think I was like eight or he was like yeah. 10. He like typed it up. He like did a fancy signature. He like put it in the mail with a stamp and everything. Yeah. Um, 
you would do like cruel tricks like that to me. Although at nine, it, it's hard. It's, it's hard to to. I mean, like he was like genius with his yeah. prank. Um, he convinced me when I was eight. He convinced me. Um, he was like, oh, because I was the smartest kid in class, which is believable. He's very smart. Um, my teacher gave me $1,000. I was like, no way did your teacher give you $1,000. He's like, yeah, he did. I'm like, no. Like, he had to convince me. So he eventually convinced me that his teacher gave him $1,000. And with $1,000, he'd bring a celebrity to the house. And he wouldn't tell me who. And I was like, is it Macaulay Culkin? Because that was a big movie at the time, Home Alone. <laughs> and um, so he, like, convinced me of all this. Like, I was like, no way is this real. And he convinced me. And then, um, so I waited at like six in the morning for Macaulay Culkin to come to my house. <laughs> and then he was like, it's me. I was just kidding. And I was like, why did you do that to me? He's like, because you need to learn to not be so gullible. I was like, you had to convince me. <laughs> like, I didn't believe you at first. Mm-hmm. So he would like play these mean tricks on me. And then, um, as we got older, we just like never got along. And like in middle school, I would be like, Hey, hello Matt you forgot your lunch he's like and he would ignore me with his group of friends I was like you forgot your lunch and I had to like scream like hey he's like whoa I'm like you forgot your lunch and he's like oh thanks and then he would continue like ignoring me and it was just like he just would rather me like not exist um and uh like one time I caught him driving his friends around when he wasn't supposed to be like when you you first get your license you're not allowed to drive um other people unless they're like your parents or something Mm. um and uh, so I caught him, and I was like, yes, I finally have something on him. So I ratted him out, because well, that's what we were mm-hmm. doing. And we didn't have any camaraderie. And um, he got in big trouble, and I was so happy, because I'm like, yes, I finally got something on him. And then he, like, cornered me in the house by myself, and he's like, everything I ever thought of you is gone. Like, I was like, what? I didn't even know you thought anything of me. And, like, he's just, like... Saying, did you say that to him, or did you just think that? He said that to me. No, but... but did, like, I thought that to myself. Like, yeah. I didn't even know you th- thought anything of me. Because, and, like, I didn't know we were supposed to have each other's back. Had he done anything nice for you other than that? Sure. Sure, that, read that moment that you had about any positive experiences with okay. your abusers. Um, yeah, the one moment that I had, I'll just tell, um, was uh, my eighth birthday. We went to Chuck E. Cheese, and he's spent the time playing arcade games and he racked up like 200 tickets and he got me a baton that had like these metallic streamers and he gave that to me for my birthday and that's like the only nice thing i remember him doing for me um was racking up all of his tickets and giving me something and i wish i still had the baton sometime but i I don't know what happened to it um but that's the only like nice thing i remember and he sang (laughs) And also, this is the one moment where I realized I was cooler than my brother, but he sang happy birthday to me in Klingon in front of all my friends. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that was a little embarrassing, but kind of sweet. Uh, what, what, do any feelings come up when you think about him giving you that, that baton? I, I just was really kind of shocked that he did something nice for me. Um, yeah, it was it was just kind of unexpected. But, but did you feel anything from it? Did it? Um, I mean, it's it's just kind of. Were you kind of numb, or did you feel a warmth from it? Or I just I remember being nice. It makes me think of. Um, I might refer to The Simpsons more than once in this podcast. But I love I, The Simpsons. I, it makes me think of when Bart wrote that Simpsons that birthday song for Lisa. Like that's what it makes me think of when he writes the song with Michael Jackson for Lisa's birthday. Like it just, I think of that, and I, I, it makes me think of that and how she felt for, I don't know. It makes me think of that. It makes me feel nice, but it's also like, oh, that's the only time 
that he went out of my way out of his way to do something nice for me as a kid you know every other time was like you know get get me out of the way so and I don't know why it was just me either like we've got two sibling other siblings and like I don't know what that seems to be pretty common yeah is people seem to siblings have like a an attraction or a yeah. issue yeah with one sibling in in particular yeah I don't know what what my what the issue is with me but yeah as um I'm, yeah as you got older yeah in high school um we uh, I tried to um reach out and um my drama class at the end of the year we do like one final project where we put a bunch of pieces together and the theme is you is um you do like monologues and little um improvisations and everything everything is about you so i invited him to see it because i knew he had a a he was a teacher's assistant that period and i knew he could get out of class to come see it i wanted him to see it and Mm -hmm. get to know a little bit about me because he was leaving for college the next year and i was like you know he could get a little piece of me and see get to know me a little bit more and i thought it'd be nice for him to see and i invited him to come see it and he never showed up he said he was gonna come and he never showed up um so i was like i'm just gonna stop trying like he obviously doesn't want a relationship with me so i'm not gonna put myself out there anymore that was probably a really healthy decision yeah you know Uh, so let's continue reading the uh the survey okay um let's see let's see um what are your deepest, darkest, darkest thoughts? Not things you would act on, but things you are ashamed to admit to you think about. I think about cutting myself. I've never done it, though. I don't like physical pain at all. I also had a friend in high school who cut a lot and attempted suicide many times, never succeeded, thankfully. And so I think seeing her go through that also made it so I don't act on it. I'm also afraid that I learned so much about my mental illness, bipolar, ADHD, social anxiety, that I exaggerate certain characteristics in front of the doctor or in front of other people so it gets more validated. And then I wonder, do I have this or am I acting? Then that might be part of it all, right? Talk about that. Yeah, I research my illnesses a lot, um, the symptoms and everything. And um, uh, so, like, I might... um, fidget more in the doctor's office uh when i uh, i switched um psychiatrist because i moved and she didn't think that i had adhd so then i was fidgeting more but then i was like well am i fidgeting more because i'm actually fidgeting or am i fidgeting more because to show her that i have adhd because she was like well i don't know if you have adhd and i'm like well the other doctor said that i did so i don't know what you <laughs> want from me you know and she was like well i don't know if you have um, bipolar, I've cyclothymia specifically, which is a milder form of it. Because she was like, "Well, my one of my patients, she, she went out the grocery store and came back with a car. Do you have any? Do you do lavish purchases like that?" I'm like, "Well, I don't have that kind of credit, but I do. I do spend a lot of money that I don't have. I can give you my bank statement, and it'll show you all my overdraws. You know." I, I'm not financially, I'm not fiscally responsible. So, so there's this feeling that you're, and a lot of people um, share this, is mm. that they feel that they're exaggerating or that they're 
what they're feeling isn't valid, that it's just them having a weak personality or wanting attention right. or um so I, I think that I think that's really common. Yeah. And you know, my thought is people have better things to do than to try to make up something that is wrong with you. The fact that you would be spending that much time trying to come up with something that is wrong with you right. is proof that something is going on <laughs> yeah. with you. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think putting too much emphasis on it fitting into a box can sometimes be a waste of time while it's important for mental health professionals to be able to have a shorthand to be able to talk about what it is that you're dealing with um waiting for it to fit into a box so you can you know set off fireworks and say i've been diagnosed i finally know what's wrong with me i think that can that can be kind of its own mind fuck to wait as if there's some finish line for for diagnosis right right yeah for sure yeah and i think that's part of it when i was trying to find a diagnosis and i think it was just more so a release release relief when I was diagnosed just because it was like oh finally especially with like the bipolar diagnosis because it was like especially with because I'm more I get more depressed than anything I just um I recently just had like a manic episode but like I mostly have the depression and it's just like oh okay that makes more sense because my mom would just be like you're moody (laughs) or lazy that's one that people with depression uh, depression get called a lot which is so damaging yeah it's one of the reasons i do this podcast is because you can't you can't put your finger on so many of these things it's such a tangled bowl of spaghetti where one thing begins and another thing ends and it's it's exhausting i read a little bit of your blog about living with depression and I felt like the words were coming out of my mouth. Oh. You know, the word, you talked about struggling to get out of bed and the feelings of self-loathing and judging yourself. And yeah. um, people that don't have mental illness don't realize that it is, it's an album that plays every fucking day yeah. in, your, in your head or certainly most days. And it's weird to think about because, like, I've been in such a good place right now. I've been on good medication recently. So it's like I was in such a bad place a few months ago. And and I feel like that was a different person. Like, it's it's like like the depression me is a different person. It's like, I don't know. Like, I was. And why is it so hard for us when we're feeling bad to say, oh, this is the real me. I'm going to feel bad forever. And when we're feeling good to say, oh, this is the the real me. I'm going to feel this way forever. Instead of just accepting that we have both of these things and they're both part of of who we are. Right. I don't don't know. They're so different. Like, I was such a mess. Like, I thought I was, I was, um, like, it was, it was like February and I was February, March and I was like, I was, such a mess i was hysterically crying one minute and then i was like oh i think i should just check myself into a hospital and then i was like well maybe i don't need to and then no i really should and what was the fantasy um if there was a fantasy about checking yourself into a hospital what would you have gotten there what did you anticipate you would just just help i don't i don't know i was just i couldn't stop crying and i just was just utter despair and i did you want to die um 
I don't have, I didn't have, I didn't, I, it's weird. My, my, my ego prevents me from suicidal thoughts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so How so? I have so many, I have my, my creative, um, my creative pursuits prevent me. <laughs> I see. From that. That's beautiful. Yeah. I have like so many things that I want to see get accomplished. So, um, I'm like, well, not, not until like, my movie gets made. <laughs> uh, maybe after that, <laughs> maybe I'll, kill, I'll feel that. I'll kill myself at the award ceremony. Maybe, right. Right. I like, not until like a few people know my name, but, uh, <laughs> I totally get that. But, um, yeah. So I've never had like that, but it's, it's, it was just like, I don't know what else to do. Like, uh, I was just like, I, I was just. Was it, uh, was it a feeling that if I go there, I'll be able to collapse and have to start trying to figure out my way out of this I, darkness? Yeah. And like, I just hadn't, I have like no responsibilities. Yeah. Just, just put me, like, the best way I could put it is so it got really bad that the week I was, um, I was doing a festival in San Diego and I was staying with my sister who goes to San Diego State and she had an extra room because she stays in these like off campus apartments and um, one of her roommates is away doing like um like study abroad or something I think. So she's like you can stay in one of the rooms we have and it's empty like there's no sheets on the bed there's nothing on the walls <laughs> so she's like here's some blankets and a pillow and i stayed in there and i was super depressed like i didn't even want to do the shows i was supposed to be doing and um she's like well, we're gonna be hanging out at my boyfriend's apartment if you want to hang out with us and i was like no i'm just gonna get my cold stone and just eat it and get my what cold stone i got oh, some cold stone ice cream, ice cream. yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm just gonna eat this and uh sitting here and it's like nine o'clock at night it felt so old like what's all this noise these kids making noise and uh, outside my jail outside, cell yeah and it was like it was my own little like asylum in there like there's nothing on the walls <laughs> like if there was padding on the walls it would have been perfect and i just sat in there and i'm like this is perfect this is what i want <laughs> like there's just like nothing a cocoon yeah there's nothing better than there a was cocoon. nothing and i was just like and i sat there and i was listening to your show and i was just like i just like i listened to Marie Bamford and you and I was just like this is it this is all I want <laughs> and I'm like if I could just have this like all the time right now I think this is what I need yeah yeah so like I that's what I, and I'm like I think this is what I need like all the time and like I just was like breaking down every other day and I just didn't know what I needed and my psychiatrist was like you think you should take time off and like I was calling my dad crying I'm like my dad doing this I need to take time off I don't know what that means <laughs> like mm-hmm. I was just a mess like the meds I was taking wasn't wasn't working and yeah so but I couldn't afford to take time off work <laughs> that was the other thing I couldn't afford I couldn't afford to be off of work you know at least with a broken arm or some other type of of illness or you know mono you know, there's a clear path of what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. You know that this is it's going to heal eventually. Right. And that's the thing that's such a motherfucker about mental illness is you don't know which. I think that's why the the being hospitalized fantasy sounds so delicious mm-hmm. sometimes to me because I like uh, somebody else will be able to figure this out. Right. All I'll have to do is take my pills, mm-hmm. go to food when food when they tell me to eat, shower when they tell me to shower, go to group. I have no problem right. opening up in front of people, but it would just be a way to... I almost picture it like, you know, those bouncy houses that kids are in? Right. Like just going into there and just being able to fall back. Yeah. You know, just a just a drop. Right. Um, 
I just wanted to talk about uh, cocoons <laughs> for a second. Um, my cocoon, and I've shared this before, but this last week was particularly like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Um, it be getting uh, cheese popcorn and Gatorade and watching, I'm not kidding you, in the span of like two nights, I watched a documentary about one of the jumpers in 9-11. Oh my God. Uh, a thing about the Manson family. Uh, a thing about, two things about um, uh, sexual predators. Um, and two things about Nazis. Oh my God. <laughs> and it was comforting to me to, to watch it. Actually, I got to say the Manson thing and the 9-11 jumper guy thing actually crossed over my line of uh. like, all right, this is this is disturbing. Yeah. This is, I, and because it, I think it was because of the pictures yeah. uh, of it. But um, what is it about that that darkness, that that cocoon that, you know, all the lights are off. I got my Gatorade. I got my cheese popcorn. And I just know I'm I'm. I'm going into that, you know, when you were describing that dorm room that yeah. you were in or that, that, that room with nothing on the walls and I'm yeah. in your cold stone creamery. I was like, I felt yeah. like somebody wrapped a blanket around right. me as you were describing that. And yet it's, it's lonely. Why is loneliness comforting? I don't know. Because we're not going to be surprised by anything. No, nobody can see you like that. It's like, I'm going to. I'm gonna put this in my mouth and this shove this bad food that's I know is bad for me. Shove it in my face and consume it, and I'm just gonna be a mess. Is it because we know what we're gonna feel? So Maybe. there's a comfort in that. I just didn't want anybody to be around me. Like, yeah, I, I knew I was gonna be killed. Or like, she was like, "You can come hang out with us." I'm like, "I'm not gonna be any fun." I'm gonna drag you all down. I'm, yeah, I'm gonna be Captain Killjoy. You don't want me on that. You don't want to be on my boat. I love too that you listen to Katy Perry, which is like the most upbeat. I, I does it take you out of your when you listen to her music? Does it take you out of your depression momentarily? I don't listen to that when I'm depressed. I mean, that's like workout music, you know. Yeah, if, yeah. I watched Captain America because mm -hmm. I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch something kind of more positive. I'm going to mm -hmm. watch like one of these superhero movies mm -hmm. and I couldn't wait for it to end. Uh -huh. I was like, this just feels like being around people. Yeah. Because there's, you're supposed to feel mm -hmm. something and it just reminded me that I don't feel that way. Yeah. That, that, that it feels false to me. Mm -hmm. You know, like victory and, the, and, and good championing over evil. It just didn't, it just felt false to me. It's like, no, I just want to go fucking bask in evil and darkness yeah because that feels real right to me yeah it's hard it's hard to get out of your little depression merry-go-round sometimes it is yeah and yet when you get out of it you're like this is great yeah why was i in there for so long <laughs> yeah ah. yeah and it's hard too like because like sometimes like i gotta go to work because it's like i'm so broke like i gotta i gotta make money and i, I get to work and people are like what's wrong i'm like i can't even they're like they try to like cheer you up. I'm like, there's nothing you there's can nothing. do. There's nothing you can do to cheer me up. Like, I appreciate what you're trying to do. There's nothing. Would it Would it be fair to say though that it would help maybe a millimeter for somebody to put their arms around you and say, "I love you. I'm here for you." That might make me cry. Sometimes is that bad? It's uh, only only because I don't like. Uh, like 
random people to see me cry. Let's talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> it just, I think that's significant. It's, it's just awkward. It's just like people are like, what's oh, wrong with her? We're getting to, we're getting to some good stuff here. Yeah. It's awkward or, when random people see you cry or people you're not very close with, like random coworkers are like seeing you cry. If you, if you started crying right now, would you be embarrassed that I'm seeing you cry? Um, I don't know. Probably not. Um, I take that as a compliment. Okay. There you go. Um, what is the is that you're going to be perceived as weak or why 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 the why do you think the fear is or the discomfort? I don't know. I just just what they're thinking or I don't want to make them uncomfortable. Are you afraid that they're, that they're going to pity you? I don't know. I just don't want them to be uncomfortable. I guess I feel like that would make them uncomfortable. But what about the release that you might get? from crying and the fact that they might feel a sense of meaning and purpose by comforting you. I guess I wouldn't think of it that way. Yeah. Where do you think that comes from? I don't know. I just, um, yeah, I don't know. I just don't think, I just wouldn't have never thought of it that way. Yeah. Um, just, um, I'm not used to, I'm not used to people comforting me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the longer I talk to you, the, the more I got to question you filling that out and saying you came from a stable and safe environment because part of, and I'm not saying your environment was abusive at all. Something, there's a a line in between there, but I think people that uncomfortable with somebody seeing them cry, to me, doesn't usually happen with people that were raised in an emotionally safe environment environment where they could cry as kids and they would be comforted and they would be seen and and felt well, i think it comes from my friends um if just thinking about that now um when like in high school the girls that i hung out with um well, i had one friend who anytime she was ever upset about whatever it was oh everyone has to rush what's wrong what's wrong what's wrong even if it, no matter what it was, something's wrong with her. We have to help her. What's wrong with her? Everyone comfort her. No matter whatever I was sad about something, whether it was depression or if I was just sad about something, she, she's fine. Kelly's fine. She can have, like, nobody paid any attention to me about it. No matter what I was upset about, if I was depressed about something, um, I never got any attention about my emotions. Um, whether I was actually crying about something or if I seemed sad about something, I never got any attention from my friends about it because I was the one, I was the problem solver or whatever. So. You were considered the strong one? Yeah. So I don't know if that has to do with it. I mean, I was allowed to cry in my household. Um, I think. Were you comforted and, and seen and felt and heard? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, and there was, of course, like the times where like you were punished like stop crying about it you know like things like that but um you know but i'm one of four kids you know like quit your crying you know whatever stuff like that but um you know if if you were sad about something like your goldfish dies yeah cry about that you know so it was like certain things were valid to cry about in your house but certain things weren't yeah yeah you know like you know if if you drop something like okay stop crying clean it up like you know while I think that that is completely 
common, mm-hmm. I don't think that's healthy. And okay. I don't think that's safe. Okay. That's my that's my opinion. Okay. And I know I'm reaching for the stars yeah. in, in terms of what is um common yeah. in our society. Mm-hmm. And I think that is as normal as it gets. Yeah. But I think it's fucked up and it should be better. Okay. That's that and that's part of the reason why I want to do this podcast is yeah. because I think you know, that's a that's a little touch of emotional poverty uh-huh. there. And I'm not blaming your parents at all. Right. That, that's how they were raised. Right. And we certainly haven't been taught any differently. But right. um, one of the things, as, as I begin to try to heal and deal with all this shit that has driven me crazy, is accepting that there are no unhealthy emotions. There's just unhealthy ways of expressing them. Yeah. And... To not judge myself for what I'm thinking or or feeling, um, no matter how crazy or fucked up it is. Uh, I was at a support group last night, and um, one of my friends there shared that she's been having some really terrifying unwanted thoughts. Mm-hmm. Really, like, graphic, racist, you know, sex, death. And I shared with her the thoughts that I've had and the fantasies I've had and the unwanted thoughts I've had. And she was so relieved to know that somebody else felt that way. And I told her, just look at it like a a crazy movie that the universe is playing in your head that you like, you're trapped in a theater and don't judge it. And when I began to stop judging those things that I thought or felt um, there was a real freedom in yeah. that. But I think when we're raised in households where we're told what is acceptable to feel or think, it can really fuck us up because we begin to we begin to judge ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I think the parents' job is to is to guide their children regarding their actions mm-hmm. and to embrace whatever crazy is going on in their head and you know say hey that, that those are just thoughts mm-hmm. it's not it's not who you are yeah um sorry about going on that long tangent <laughs> but um you can't believe how many emails from the maria bamford episode when we got when we talked about unwanted thoughts yeah. people who were like oh my god yeah i thought i was a horrible person oh, yeah. and it may it it breaks my heart to to think that there are people out there right now that are thinking they are they are their thoughts and mm-hmm. and they are their feelings yeah you know yeah somebody cut me off yesterday in a range rover you know i, I hate range rovers to begin with because there's <laughs> it's such a cliche here in hollywood and I just felt like this person was saying to me, you don't matter. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm in show business and you're not and I'm entitled. And I'm sure it just reminded me of the part of myself that I hate, the feeling, you know, that mm-hmm. guy that can sometimes be entitled. Um, but I wanted to I wanted to run them off the road. Right. And get out and tell them what a piece of shit they were. Right. And um, and then I was like, oh, OK. I just looked at that thought and that feeling and went, that's not. Right. That's not who you are. Yeah. That's just a feeling, an overwhelming feeling that person brought up in you that triggered something in you. Right. Um, how often do you find yourself around people and you want to break down or you want to cry or you want to express 
sadness to them, but you stifle it. Is uh, it the majority of the time, or do you open up the majority of the time? Um, probably majority of the time I hold it back. It probably depends on what it is um, or where I'm at, but major- probably majority of the time I hold it back. When you don't hold it back, is it because it's about a particular issue that you feel is valid or because that person feels safe to you or because you can't take holding it in anymore? Probably because I can't hold it in anymore or it's because of who I'm with. Yeah. You, give me a, a, a snapshot of a time when you did break down and what happened. Um, just, um, I mean, recently when I was... I was driving and I was on the phone with my dad and I just was like, I don't like, I didn't know what I was going to do. My doctor told me that I should take time off work. And I was just bawling in the car, talking with my dad on the phone. Like, I just didn't know what I was going to do. Um, I didn't know what taking time off meant. Uh, and I, I just didn't know, you know, if I was going to go away in a facility or, or what. And if I did, I didn't know what that meant. If, I was going to be like locked up somewhere or, or I, I just didn't know what that meant for me. And it was also, it also kind of felt like a relief. Like I'm going to be locked up. Like I'm going to be like, have no responsibilities. <laughs> like it was kind of a relief at that point too. Like maybe I'm going to get better. Um, I'm going to get help because I was, um, pretty manic at the same time as well. So it was, um, kind of a relief as well, but I, I, I could not stop like hysterically crying either. Um, and, um, did my, it feel good talking he, to your dad and opening up about that? Yeah. But it was also kind of frustrating too. Cause he's like, well, you know, you're just going to get through this rough patch. I'm like, it's not a rough patch. Like I'm, I have an illness. <laughs> like this is something I'm going to struggle with forever. Like, Do your parents believe that it's an illness that you yeah, have? Yeah, and it's it's just kind of, for me, it's working through the wording with them. I think that's the biggest misconception people have that don't understand depression um, and other forms of mental illness is they think it's outside factors that's making us feel something inside and they don't yeah. understand that it's inside factors coloring our outside. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like, oh, I got, you know, I lost my job. I'm so sad. Like, no, it's, I just feel this way because. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people that fill out the surveys, because they're living with depression, they can't enjoy this great job they have. Mm-hmm. And they have anxiety around it and they feel ungrateful for it. And then they help, hate themselves for being employed and. Not feeling any joy from right. it. And if that's not an example of the inside coloring the out, God, I don't know what is. Right. Yeah. For sure. A lot of PhDs, a lot of people with degrees who feel like frauds, who just feel completely cut off from their from their life. Right. Yeah. Do you want to continue reading? Sure. See where we at. I think you just did deepest, darkest yeah. uh, thoughts. Yes, I did. Let's see. Let's see. Oh, what are your deepest, darkest secrets? Things you have done or things that have happened to you? When I was thirteen, I thought my friends were done with me. If it happens to me a lot, where girls who are my quote friends will just decide to stop being my friends and turn on me. 
Anyway, I felt like my friends were going to ditch me, and I was desperate, so to get them to continue being my friends, I wrote them a note that basically said they that they needed to stay my friends or I was going to hurt myself. I can't remember exactly what it said. I have really suppressed that memory because it was really horrible. They took the note to the school counselor, and my mom taught at my school, and so he showed it to her, and when my mom took me home, she talked to me about it and, it, and cried, and I cried. Uh, I didn't mean what I wrote. I just wanted my friends back. That's heartbreaking. Yeah. What do you What do you think or feel as you It's as you like read the worst it? thing I've ever done. Is your stomach tightening thinking yeah. about it? I don't like to see my mom cry. Yeah. It was the worst thing. I, yeah. I don't remember what it said. Um, I don't know if it's just because it's so distant or because I really did suppress it, but I just remember that um, it felt like my friends were trying to get rid of me. Um, like they were just, it's middle school, you know, it's high pressure social situations. Um, and, um, I just know that it had something about like something about them, you know, if you don't be, you know, something about them staying my friends and if you know, I don't hear from you by this time tonight, like I'm going to hurt myself or something. So is the the shame and the anguish over recalling it because you looked bad in front of your friends or because it made your mom cry? Um, because it made my mom cry, yeah. That's interesting to me because I would think for most people it would have been that we thought we looked foolish in, fr- in front of our friends. Talk talk about the what it is I didn't about... Want, I didn't want my mom to find out about that I because mean, I wasn't really going to do it. It was just something to get my friends back. So you felt like you unnecessarily caused your mom pain. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I didn't, I didn't, I, uh, I just did that kind of in the moment to try to get my friends back. And I didn't think that it would get back to my mom or go to the school counselor or anything. So there wasn't even a kernel of truth in that you were going to hurt yourself. No, I'm not. I am a huge wimp. And as far as physical pain goes, I don't like like pain at all and you have your movie to write so yeah i just yeah i wouldn't have done that you can't type with uh, stitches on your wrists no that would be too much um yeah so i just and i remember her driving us home and then we just sat in the car and she was had the letter and she turned to me and she was crying about it and Oh my God, it was just like the worst moment. Like I didn't, I just remember saying like, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. And she's like, I would be devastated if you ever hurt yourself. And, you know, and we cried in the car. It was just like the worst thing I'd ever done. And I think uh, I didn't even do it to her and it upset her so much. I think people listening to this probably feel like I do right now, which is, it's kind of an awful moment because yeah. it's kind of beautiful that you saw because I've I've read surveys where the parent shames the kid for doing that and your mom felt you your mom cried with you and you cried with her I mean there's a a beauty a real beauty in there I think I think some people listening to this are jealous that that their mom had that kind of a reaction I don't mean that they would have enjoyed seeing their mom feel pain, but they're jealous that your mom protected you 
you know, and and comforted you and felt you in a way that was completely appropriate. I mean, I, I think that's beautiful. Uh-huh. You're a horrible person, but I think that's beautiful. <laughs> oh, I felt horrible. <laughs> you know I'm kidding, yeah. right? No, I know you are. <laughs> that's why I laugh. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was like the worst thing I f- feel like I've ever done in my whole life. And I peaked at 13, so at least, you know, I got that out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, do you want to continue reading, or is there anything else you wanted to share about that? Um, I think that was it about that. Um, let's see. Um, should we go on with anything else in the survey? If you want to. Um, or I don't know if I should mention about the times I went to therapy as a kid. My mom made me go to therapy as no. a kid. Yeah. Yeah, twice uh, when I was five because I was a bedwetter. She was mm-hmm. convinced I was doing it despite her. Um, Take back what I said about your mom. Yeah. Fuck, <laughs> fuck her. <laughs> I, don't, I'm, I don't remember the sessions much, but... Um, uh, and then I went back to this, the same doctor when I was 10 because this girl... Rachel um, told me I didn't have any friends and nobody liked me. And uh, she had a Jenny Craig consultant call my house telling me that uh, the, how I could get to my bikini weight for beach season. So I was being bullied when I was 10. Um, so I went back to That's the same. pretty serious, man. Yeah. You've experienced some pretty serious bullying. Yeah. So, yeah, it wasn't so much. Yeah, most people have a... Have it in in the in the family, but uh, yeah, mine mine was kind of outside. Um, yeah, so um, so yeah, I went to therapy. I don't really remember the therapy sessions so much. I just remember it was I know it was the same lady the both times. So when I was five and when I was ten, um, and I would get a happy meal after each session because <laughs> now I have food problems. <laughs> Did. Did your brother bully you about uh, being overweight? Um, you know, my brother is um, a runner, so he's in sh- he's pretty pretty in shape. Um, I uh, I remember he- I remember one moment where I would um, I remember I was getting like ice cream in like at like ten in the morning. I would, I would get to go to the freezer and like make mm-hmm. some ice cream at like ten in the morning once, and he just looked at me like he was so disgusted with me. And I felt shame, and I still took the ice cream and went to my room. But um, yeah, I um, I always felt like he was disgusted with how I looked. Hmm. Did you uh, feel? Did your parents ever make you feel that way? Um, my mom always kind of made little things. No, never, never major way. But um, um, I'm probably like the. I mean, you look at me. I'm not super big, but I'm like the biggest one of my siblings. Mm-hmm. Um. I'm about like 40, 50 pounds overweight, but, um, not too big. But, um, my mom's always been like, oh, you know, like certain, certain ways, certain clothes, certain, uh, weight clothes fit a certain way on me. She's always like kind of pick at, at me, but, um, I think that's just how she is. Uh, in general, but she wanted you to look as as good as possible. Or yeah, was it that she yeah, was just the way, um, a little bit of critical, just the way clothes fit. Mm-hmm. But I think it was just because I was always trying to fit into smaller clothes too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, both my my parents are um, overweight as well, so I think it's also a little bit of projection as well. Yeah. Um, that's just my opinion on it. Um, 
um, there's a lot of obesity in my family. So I think it's just kind of projecting and hoping that I don't become morbidly obese like some family members. Um, but yeah, so it, it's always, weight's always been a struggle for me. It still is. You know, there, one of the things that would be awesome to have for new parents would be a way to educate them so that they could take the concern they have for their child not experiencing pain and find a way to help their child in a way that doesn't shame them. Right. Because so many parents have the, the right intention that they want to spare their child pain in as the kid goes out into society. But so many ways, the way that parent do does it is almost more damaging than what that kid might experience. Right. And part of it was like me probably like acting out like once I was able to drive and I had a job and I was getting my money, I was like, well... I can do what I want as far as like I can get my own food and do you know do this to myself. So do you ever binge? Oh my god, yes. Talk about that. Oh man, back in my heyday, I could binge a lot. I mean, back when you were pro. Yeah, right? man. Uh, you I, turned pro at an ice cream parlor. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> right. You held I a press mean, conference. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I could. I mean, I'm I'm a lot better now. I'm a little. I'm more aware of it. But I still have problems. Like I literally, like just yesterday, I was looking at like oh, Overeaters Anonymous. Like I was like, I'm probably like go to a meeting. Um, but I, uh, I can, I could just eat. I could, I could literally just sit and eat all day and not stop. Um, would you, would you eat even though you were feeling physical discomfort from being so full? Yeah, I can eat when I'm full. Uh, I eat when I'm bored. I eat when I'm upset. I eat when I'm happy. I, yeah, I can. Um, Yesterday, I didn't even eat, like, a dinner. I just ate, like, candy and cake. And, like, Have you ever been able to trace the urge to overeat in a specific instance to an overwhelming feeling that might have triggered it? Um, there's sometimes where I'm, like, I'm upset about something, and I, like, I feel like I should eat. But I can't... I don't know if there's, like, a specific like event in my life mm-hmm. where I can trace that to. It could just be a generalized I think it's, discomfort with your life and I who you are. I think it's just general. Like. Well, give me a snapshot and an arc of a moment, if you can think of one, where there was a discomfort with your life or who you are and the thoughts and feelings going through your head from the war of I shouldn't do this, but I really want to do it to deciding what you're going to eat, going to get it, what you feel before you eat it, as you eat it, and the feelings afterwards. Oh, man. It's like, I mean, it's even like today, like I've, I've stayed in bed um, a lot longer than I should have. Um, I, I set my alarm for nine because uh, I was like, oh, I should go work out. But then I was so tired. I uh, set an alarm for half hour later, still tired, set it again, still tired. <laughs> you did the exact same I, yeah. thing. I was like, I so I skipped breakfast, and then uh, it was like eleven, and I was like, oh, I should have my my diet protein shake thing, and um, then I was like, you know, I'll just stay in bed a little longer, and then all about before I knew it, it was like time for me to leave to come here, so I was like, well, I gotta eat something, and it's I don't know if I have time to make that shake. It's gonna be time consuming, so I might as well just stop by and get fast food i shouldn't get fast food but uh whatever so i didn't go to the gym 
didn't eat my diet shake like I was supposed to, and instead I went to fast food, which tastes to me a whole lot better than that diet shake, and I didn't do anything I was supposed to do today. I overslept, and I got fast food, and I, uh, I loved every minute of it, and I wasn't supposed to do it. You know, and that was today. So. And when, what did you feel when you finished the meal? How long did the, if I, if I can call it a high, mm-hmm. is that an exaggeration to call it a high? Oh, yeah, it's kind of a high, yeah. How long did that last? Uh, I mean, like, just three bites in, I was like, what am I doing? I feel sick. Sick with, uh, sick physically or sick emotionally? Um, Physically. I mean, I've still finished it. I mean, and sick it's, because of the shame or sick because of the food? Probably because of the food. Probably because of the food. Yeah. It's not not good for you. I've been trying to eat better. Um, and it's you know, it's like the second or third time this week that I went and did fast food when I'm trying to mm-hmm. do a program to lose weight. I get so focused on trying to lose weight that I like collapse and and break down and and i think about getting fast food instead or getting ice cream or 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 whatever you know at work yesterday there was cake and i had i was like oh i'll just have one piece you know i had i had three or four because it was still just there there was so much cake do you ever cut a piece of cake and you look at the width of it and you go I'm definitely having two. I don't know why I'm cutting this so thin. Who the fuck am I kidding? Right. Yeah, I went back for, yeah, it was just like, who am I kidding? Like, I'm going to be back for more. Might as well just, like, there's, and then I I was in the office and there was candy. What, what am I doing? Of course I'm going to eat all this candy. Like, it was just ridiculous. Like, like I might as well just skip my dinner, which is what I did because I'm so full of the candy and cake that I just had. So it was just like, why am I doing? And then I just sit there and I think, why am I doing this to myself? And I don't know why I'm doing this to myself. So that's why. Do you I, think it's possible it's related to emotions that are overwhelming? Um, it could be. I I don't know. I've just been doing this for so long. I I personally believe that it's as a kid whatever our addiction is that was our way of soothing our emotions mm-hmm. and we got a rush from it and we become addicted to that rush and it's not really about the food it's about the the chemicals that get released in our brain mm-hmm. when we i mean certainly cake tastes good and, right. you know all that other stuff that's what's hard it's so easily available yeah it sucks it's like i gotta eat so it's just about making those choices on what to eat. And there's gray. Yeah. There's tons of gray, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to read more from your survey? Um, yeah, we can see. Oh, this one, this one's good. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone that you haven't been able to? Why? I sometimes wish I didn't have a miscarriage. I had a miscarriage before I knew I was pregnant. It was the best. It was with my best friend. We weren't in a relationship, but I loved him. He knows how I felt about him and the miscarriage. I don't think he knows that if things turned out differently, I would have wanted to keep it. Yeah. It's heavy. You want to talk about it? Yeah. Um, 
I, uh, a few years ago, um, I was performing at a show and uh, I fell down the bathroom stairs. And um, The show was held in the bathroom. The bathroom, yeah. Uh, it was uh, at the Purple Onion and the bathroom stairs are kind of narrow, windy. And I fell down the, the stairs right before I was supposed to go up and um, busted my foot up pretty bad. But a few weeks later, um, weird stuff happened, came out, and I, I it turned out I had a miscarriage. I didn't know I was pregnant. It was only like a few weeks um, from what I can tell. And um, yeah, so it was kind of weird because I wasn't planning on being pregnant or uh, or anything. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it, was, it took me a few months to tell my friend that that that's what had happened but i because I, I, I kind of wrestled back and forth on whether i should tell him and i finally decided well if i'm thinking about it so much on if i should tell him i should probably tell him yeah um so especially the, if he was a good friend yeah so i i told him and uh we haven't really talked we haven't talked about it uh since it was just kind of like i told him and um and uh and I told my mom, and and those and those pretty much, the, and I'm telling you and everybody listening. So <laughs> that's pretty much all I've told, all the people I've told. Um, and uh, I told another friend of mine who's experienced miscarriages, and she was like, "Yeah, that sounds like you had a miscarriage." Um, and it's just kind of something I've, I think about from time to time because um, um, if I carried a term, I think it'd be about it would be about two years old now. So it's just kind of weird to think about my life being different. It's weird too because I think about the fall too, and it's weird because I didn't, um, I wasn't drinking or anything. I was just on the stairs, and I, it honestly felt like somebody had pushed me. So I think sometimes I think like maybe I back to the future myself. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's just weird. I was the only one in there, um, but um, yeah, it's weird. I I'm not in any position right now to be a mother i am barely taking care of myself right now so to to take care of somebody else um it if it scares me um i'd have to definitely rearrange my whole life mm. um but i know that and i would rearrange he would have to rearrange his whole life too especially at that point um but it's it's something that i think about and i know i don't know how he would feel about that but um yeah, it's kind of it kind of makes it's kind of bittersweet yeah. and it kind of makes me sad, but but I think it was it's 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 hard to say that it's kind of for the best that that it happened that way. Yeah. You want to continue reading? Yeah. Let's see. Um let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Um how do you feel after writing? How do you feel after writing these things down? It's therapeutic. I've been trying to write about my mental illness in my act because I feel there are some funny things about them. And I feel it is something people should be talking about. There's no shame in it. Some people have asthma. I have a mood disorder. Yeah. Um, I'm, yeah, I've been uh, working a lot of uh, mental illness into my uh, comedy. And uh, uh, I've been listening to... A lot of other uh, comedians act like Maria Manford have been listening to her stuff. And I, and I just feel like there should be more dialogue in general about mental illness, which I think is why this podcast is so great. Um, you know, people post online when they're like, oh, I'm sick. I threw up so much today. I'm like, I don't want to hear about that. But like, oh, we can't talk about people with mental illness. You know, like, that's too taboo. You know, but it's like, 
everybody either has it or knows somebody with some sort of mental illness. So why aren't we talking about it? I think it's changing. Yeah. I really think this is... This is kind of the the civil rights era um, of mental illness and people coming out and, uh, you know, advocating. Yeah. There's some laws starting to be passed. And I think people are starting to understand, you know, when there's a school shooting, this isn't as much about guns as it is about mental illness. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, was that it for, um, I think that was the last, last thing on the, on the survey. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and yeah, just yeah. I think it's um, pretty much it. Yeah. yeah. Is there anything else you want to share before we uh, did? Did I ask you to do fears and loves? Um, I have mine. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do some. Okay. 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 All right. I got my fears. I have a couple here. All right. All right. I fear. Uh, if you're never finding success as a writer or performer. Um, I fear. I fear the um, having to. I, I like this space that we're recording in because mm-hmm. it's affordable. But I fear that future recordings are going to be ruined because the people that share offices around here are going to be. Uh, loud. There's sometimes I have to edit moments out because they're so loud, and I fear that it's going to get to the point where I'm going to have to find some place else to do the podcast, and I won't be able to find one because it'll be too expensive. One that will be quiet enough will be will be too expensive. I fear never knowing what it's like to love someone and have them love me back. I fear that I will never completely be comfortable with intimacy and I will die regretting um, a part of me never changing how I want it to change that's deep I I fear my stubbornness has gotten in the way of the path I was supposed to take I fear that the repercussions of climate change, instead of being decades, are actually going to happen in the next two years, and this is so dark, and I've imagined this already, that, um, uh, this is so hard to say, but I think about it all the time, that my wife and I are going to have to kill our dogs and then kill ourselves rather than live in a scorched earth where there's no food and no water oh, and no. roving gangs of people oh, no. killing and robbing and raping. That's Maybe horrible. I should watch fewer of those dark documentaries. It's <laughs> horrible. Yeah. Um, I fear I will always struggle financially. Um. I fear that I'm kidding myself that I'm going to lose weight and I'm just going to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And um, these shorts that I have on right now, uh, I felt so much shame when I put them on this morning because I haven't worn shorts in like a year since it was hot last year and uh, or nine months or whatever. And I just like there's barely room to put my wallet and my phone in my pocket and I just feel like um, 
I just feel just disappointed in my ability to be honest with myself about exercising more, changing my diet, and I just, I'm just afraid that I'm, I'm never going to find the will to lose weight. I have that one too. Um, I fear I smell bad and no one will tell me. <laughs> we get that one quite a bit. Yeah. Quite a bit. Um, I fear that um, the neurofeedback I'm doing is going to be a complete waste of time. Because I've been doing it for months and I'm starting to feel a little something from it, but it's not enough to convince me that it's really, really working. I fear my teeth will fall out all at once. <laughs> Don't watch the movie The Fly with Jeff Goldblum. Have oh you watched gosh. that movie? A long time ago, yeah. but I have nightmares about Do it. Do you? Reoccurring. This one is so trivial, but I I fear that the Blackhawks aren't going to win the Stanley oh, Cup. It's so trivial, but <laughs> it, it I feel like I'm I I clutch my heart like I'm Fred Sanford when it's a, when it's a close game, and uh-huh. it I know it's so silly that it's just a sporting event, but I invest so much time and emotion in in watching them that it um yeah. I forget to enjoy the game. I right. become so wrapped up in the result instead of the the game. The game. Yeah. Um, so this is kind of like yours, but I'm, I fear I'll never lose the extra weight I have and I will always be the funny fat friend with a pretty face and nothing more than that. Yeah. Let's go to uh, to loves, unless you had a, uh, another one. I have you... one more. Okay. Um, I fear that one or both my parents will have some life-altering disease or disorder and it will rest upon me and me alone to take care of them. Yeah. I bet a lot of people have that one. Yeah. All right. Um, I love when I'm not even trying and I make my dad laugh hysterically. I love when I'm interviewing somebody and something comes up in their conversation that they share where a light bulb goes off either for them or for us, or potentially a listener who's listening. Something where I feel like, yes, I, I got a peek inside that person's soul. I love the smell of cookies baking in the oven. I love the taste of cookies going into my mouth. Uh, I love being home alone and singing loudly in the shower. I love uh, when ice cream sandwiches have sat out for about five to ten minutes and they're kind of soft and I just run my tongue along the outside of it and and then the the taste when I do finally bite into the cookie part of it um, I love having serious conversations about ridiculous topics I love discovering a new band and downloading an album of theirs and finding other great songs other than the single song that I downloaded the album for. Um, I love finding the perfect gift for someone. I love the feeling of uh, when it's 105 here in the valley and I walk into the house and my wife 
has already turned on the air conditioning. Nice. Uh, I love getting into a laughing fit. I love eating seafood um, at a restaurant where you can see the sun setting on the ocean. Uh, I love a brand new notebook and a new set of pens. I love standing in a uh, stream. I love hearing my mom yell on a roller coaster at Disneyland. I love the perfect silence um, in the mountains when you're above the tree line and there's no wind. I love looking at failed tattoos. I'm fascinated by them. Failed tattoos? Yes. Yeah. Like where something's misspelled. It's misspelled or they're just drawn horribly. Yeah. Oh, I love them. Um, I love when th- somebody thanks me for something and I can see that they truly mean it and I'm able to accept it and take it in and feel the the warmth of it. Is that it for your love? Yeah, that's all I heard. Kelly, thank you uh, so much for coming on and, thank you. and sharing your uh, your life with us. Thank you. I was uh, many thanks to to uh, Kelly, uh, by the way, but I was not able to get an update from her in time, as uh, sometimes happens when, uh, when I don't air an episode for a while. I lose touch with uh, with that guest, um, so I can't give you an an update. But if I do get one, I'll uh, I'll be sure to share it with you. That's weird, uh, listening back to that episode when I was uh, editing it, because um, I mentioned that this was recorded in 2014, and I was just thinking about all the fucking things that have happened, uh, not just in the world, but in my in my life uh, as well. I, um, <laughs> Herbert died. Um, he, for those of you that are new listeners, he was my little my little guy, my dog. Um, the Blackhawks did wind, went, uh, wind up winning another Stanley Cup, not in 2014, but in 2015. Uh, the Cubs won the fucking World Series. I would have never imagined in my lifetime. 108 years it had been since they won a World Series. Um, a reality show star is now our president. Uh, I don't mean to reduce him to that, for those of you that uh, enjoy him. And... I have not been attacked by climate change marauders. I thought that that was going to come true. And I have not I have not had to take drastic action. Uh, and before I uh, get to the surveys, um, there's a podcast that I think you guys would really like. It's called Family Ghosts, and uh, it's fairly new. It's by uh, a guy named Sam Dingman, who was the Grand Slam winner on uh, the storytelling uh, podcast, The Moth. And... Um, each episode goes into um, some person in a family's past that did something or acted in such a way that it has had ripples throughout the generations. And it's a really great show. I think you would dig it. Um, it's uh, the, the one episode you, you should uh, start with is called Family Jewels. And uh, I, w- I won't say anything more than that, but uh, go check it out. If you love a good story unfolding, I, I think you will you will dig it. And it's got heart, too. It's, it's not just like um, uh, dark and whatever. It's, it's hard to describe. Go listen to it. Um, you can check it out uh, through Apple Podcasts, or you can do it... Um, through whatever podcast player you have, but um, 
we uh, we both enjoy each other's podcasts, so we thought, hey, let's tell our listeners about uh, each other's podcasts. Because I don't need to tell you about this podcast because you're already listening to it. Ugh. I want to talk about your brain. Your brain's history is not your identity. You can make your brain better, including your memory. Learn how in the groundbreaking book by New York Times bestselling author Dr. Daniel Amen, titled Memory Rescue. Whether you are at risk of memory loss because it runs in your family or you're noticing your own memory loss issues, this book offers answers that can improve your memory and decrease your risk of future memory-related problems or diseases. Amen's answers are based on proven clinical results from the tens of thousands of patients he's treated in his clinics across the country. For more information on Memory Rescue, go to www.memoryrescuebook.com. Author Dr. Daniel Amen is a board-certified psychiatrist who offers these proven methods to rescue your memory. Get your copy of Memory Rescue today, available wherever books are sold, in stores, or online. Memory Rescue, because your brain's history does not have to be your destiny. Go to MemoryRescueBook.com. All right, to the surveys. This is a happy moment filled out by Sarah Bear, and uh, she writes... I have been feeling utterly lost and alone for so long now. I didn't think that anyone cared about me and that nobody would miss me if I were gone. Then the other day at work, I discovered a mutual love for elephants between me and a co-worker. She said that we should go to the zoo sometime to go see them, and this completely blew me away. I am someone who never sees the outside of my apartment, uh, apart from going to work and feigning okayness. And here someone was actually asking me to be social. I didn't feel like a burden in that moment, and I wanted to cry because I was so happy, and all because an elephant in our city zoo decided to have a baby. Elephants run the world. That's a little-known secret, uh, but seriously, thank you for uh, sharing that. Um, I love those moments when all of a sudden you realize that you're not invisible and that there's love in the world. It's just such an amazing amazing moment. It's It's crazy how much our brains tell us lies and doom and etc etc this is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself dirty good girl she is uh, straight in her 20s raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment Uh, ever been the victim of sexual abuse some stuff happened but i don't know if it counts Um, she's been physically and emotionally abused Uh, darkest thoughts Uh, I am so unbelievably turned on by the thought of having sex with an older, often unattractive man. The thought of pleasing this man is so arousing. I have always been especially turned on by men who have held power over me, managers, etc., to the point of fantasizing about them taking control and using me however they please. Um, I hope you don't find it weird, but I have even envisioned being interviewed by you and the interview turning into hot, nasty sex. Um, I should note that my father passed away when I was seven and had abandoned me much before that, so I never really had a father figure. I had never talked to a therapist about my fantasies. I have never talked to a therapist about my fantasies, but imagine they have something to do with my childhood. Uh, that does not make you weird, and um, I've been in therapy uh, long enough to know that that has nothing to do with me, that this is your way of processing something uh, that... Um, you know, that's inside you and um, it does not make you weird. You're a, you're a human being. I used to have, uh, it's so hard to, 
to admit, but I used to uh, deliver food, um, doing volunteer work, and I would occasionally deliver to um, old people who are homebound. And there were times that I would deliver food and I would find myself um, becoming turned on by the idea of these um, women, these grandmothers, <laughs> seeing me do something sexual. And I, I would leave there going, why did what the fuck is this about? Well, of course, when I dove deeper into my mom's stuff in therapy, um, I, I got to the root of uh, what that stuff was all about. But you're not alone in having a feeling or a thought or whatever that, that makes you feel weird or alone or different. Um, Darkest secrets. When I was a child, I would spy on older male family members, uh, grandfather, uncle, etc., to see them naked. What the fuck is wrong with me? I wasn't turned on by this that I can remember, but liked to see their genitalia nonetheless. There is nothing wrong with you. There is nothing wrong with you. Um, and uh, that's but she she didn't fill out uh much uh of the of the rest of this survey um except for have you shared these things with others no way never not even my husband or therapist too ashamed and i want to urge you to talk to your therapist about this because any decent therapist will know that this that there is something some insight to be mined from talking about this. And it's so important that we use those ways that we think or behave or want to behave to help inform our therapists so they can help us rather than keeping that a secret and shaming ourselves for it. it the, the two ways of dealing with it couldn't be 180 degrees further away. So I encourage you um, to share that with your therapist. Um, yeah, but you're not alone. This is a happy moment filled out by Tsuga, and uh, she writes, uh, after a violent date rape at 19, um, you know, I, I talked earlier in the uh, podcast about um, how there are sometimes themes that appear in a bunch of survey respondents that are, are clumped together, groupings, if, uh, if you will, and... Uh, this week, there is a, a theme of people who have experienced um, sexual trauma, um, but in healing from it, uh, they experience these um, beautiful moments. And this is one of them. After a violent date rape at 19, I became very familiar with shame. I sometimes tell myself, if you had focused on school and avoided dating, maybe this wouldn't have happened. Hopefully, you learned your lesson, you dumb slut. Growing up, there were some weird views on dating. Although, although healthy sexuality and information were wholeheartedly supported, there was some black and white thinking. In my early teens, I had some harmless crushes. Uh, the buck stopped at giggles and chatter in the hallways and on instant, instant messenger. Uh, no physical contact of any kind took place. I was a pretty good kid overall. Varsity volleyball, freshman year, accomplished cellist, honor student, etc. And I was attracted to guys of my ilk. My mom feared that this was a distraction, that I was getting boy crazy, insinuating 
that any interest in the opposite sex was inevitably going to lead to a teen pregnancy. So it rattled around in my head that romantic interest was shameful and worthy of punishment, an inherent detraction from education, career success, etc., even as an adult. I felt a wave of a wave of shame today and decided I would write everything out on paper. That is a fucking great idea, by the way. Sometimes stuff that is buried so deep can only come up through talking to another person about it or writing about it. Um, continuing, I surmised that my engagement has not compromised my career as a fledgling molecular biologist. I got a full ride for a PhD and have been entrusted to teach college seniors and spit out some compelling research. My half-sister, a college student, recently went through a domestic violence incident that put her in the hospital. I asked myself, would I chide her for dating and not focusing solely on school? Would I tell her that I'd hoped she'd learned a lesson to abstain? I thought about it. Hell fucking no. I wouldn't ever say that to her. So why do I say it to myself? I felt a lot better and felt a sense of peace. We are humans. We are social creatures. And that violence is not a natural consequence of dating. And that dating is not a transgression in the least. Thank you for that. That eloquent. Eloquent. I always love when I read a survey and I just know somebody is going to hear it and that's going to be the very thing that they needed to hear today and it, and it makes their day. And when I get an email from somebody that shares that, that they heard something on the podcast that made their day or their week or their month or changed their life, it is, um, it is just, uh, it's the best feeling. I feel like the luckiest, uh, I feel like the luckiest man alive. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself uh, Tiestes. And he is gay. He's 19. He was raised in a stable and safe environment. I would, I would dispute that. Um, and I will read why. Uh, have you ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Um, I don't know how old I was, but I got an itch slash burning in my penis. My mom used to give me cold chamomile tea to put my penis in to help the pain. I don't know if I was young enough for it to be appropriate or not, uh, or if I was too old. I wasn't older than seven. It's just something I remember. I also have a memory of my older brother playfully making our penises touch in the bathroom. I don't know if this was fabricated or not. I later played this, quote, game with a friend. I remember going to swim in the pool with my dad, and he exposed himself to me. It wasn't sexual or forceful and lasted only a second. He was changing, and I was watching him because I was waiting for him to finish so we could go swimming, and he moved his towel so I could see him in a playful way. Yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, I was waiting for, uh, so I could see him. I thought this was very weird, and I didn't like him to do it. Uh, I think I was under 10, but not too young. Uh, at around 12, 
I started being very affectionate with my parents. I always wanted to kiss them on the lips for some reason. At around 14, I noticed that I had a growth inside my testicle that I still have. I told my dad about it, and because I couldn't describe it, he asked me to see it or something. I can't remember it very well. I didn't want to, but for some reason, I told him he could feel it so he could see what it was. He told me he wouldn't look, but he did. I've never verbalized or written these things down. It was very difficult for me, and I left this survey uh, incomplete for hours before being able to write this down. I also never realized how fucked up these things were until I wrote them down. I only started to think about these things very recently, even though I could always remember them. I just hadn't realized how wrong they were. I also wonder if there's something worse I can't remember. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm assuming that you filled out the part saying that you were raised in a stable and safe environment before you took that uh, break and wrote the rest of this stuff down. Um, and that is one of the things that's so difficult for people is when it doesn't fit into a box, what happened to us. And that mean part of our brain that wants to tell us that we're an exaggerator or we're a baby or we're making too big of a deal or we're throwing somebody under the bus, it, it has the ammo it needs to make that lie um, see, seem even um, more truthful. Um, but the fact that you are feeling the feelings that you felt recalling these things is the most important, the most important thing. Um, you ever been physically or emotionally abused? Um, my father has told me I'm selfish and dictator-like when I was little. I never felt taken seriously. There was one situation where I was scared and upset and I was laughed at. Um, any positive experiences with the abusers? Uh, they are my family. Uh, that, that doesn't really answer the question, but in a way, that answers the question. Um, and that is one of the biggest hurdles in giving weight to any abuse we have that happened to us uh, in, a, in a home growing up is feeling like um, you don't say that about family. But, you know, you're not getting on, uh, you know, the evening news saying this. And even if you did, that would be okay, too, if you're telling the truth. What are your deepest, darkest thoughts? Uh, I have periods of time when I think about killing myself every day for weeks on end. I think about closing all the windows and turning on the gas of my stove. I have no idea if it would actually work. I just like thinking about it. Ironically, the gas in my building was permanently shut off. Oh, life. You can't fucking make it up. Darkest secrets, the things that I wrote in the sexual abuse section. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I don't like sex. I'm afraid of intimacy. I only had one kiss, and of course, I didn't initiate it. I watch pornography and masturbate and also engage in online camera sex, but I couldn't do it with someone else for real, so I don't really have any fantasies. One of the hallmarks of people who have experienced childhood sexual uh, abuse is a difficulty, a fear of intimacy. Um, that could present itself as either running from affection or um, becoming uh, very promiscuous and sometimes uh, going back and forth between the two uh, and mistaking intensity for intimacy. Um, that's a really big problem in, um, in our culture 
is this belief that if it's, you know, if our adrenaline's pumping and we're obsessed with that person, that that's a good thing. No, that's a red flag that that this is about more than that person and something is probably being relived through that person. Not to mean that you can't have exciting times in a healthy relationship, but um, people that struggle with intimate, intimate intimacy disorders, the pattern is usually super, super intense the first couple of months, can't see enough of each other, want to know everything about each other. It's just uh, oxytocin heaven. And then uh, it all comes crashing down because you suddenly get to know each other well enough, or at least one of you gets to know the other well enough, that that fantasy is burst and you are faced with an actual three-dimensional flawed human being. And the fear of them overwhelming you or whatever the fear is that you have around intimacy uh, makes you run. Uh What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish to resolve my issues to better my mental health and being able to have a more successful life. Right now, I'm overwhelmed by little things and have academic difficulties, as well as no motivation to make my situation better. I have the means to live much healthier, but I sabotage myself. And that is another classic hallmark of um, childhood sexual abuse, all of the stuff that you're describing. Have you shared these things with others? No, I would be mortified. It was hard enough to fill in this survey, which was the first time I opened up about them. How do you feel after writing these things down? It is very difficult and it makes me feel icky. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? I'm in no position to give others advice. I need advice myself. And then he drew a frown. Please, please go get help. You are worth it. You deserve it. You deserve the chance to become your authentic self because the authentic you that has always been there is still in there, but it has scars of trauma around it. And it can't emerge. We cannot live the authentic life that we're meant to live if we don't process the stuff that is holding us back. And that leap of faith, like I was talking about in the beginning of the podcast, would be going and talking to a professional about this. And I highly recommend it's somebody who specializes in sexual trauma. Um, um, You might even start just reading the book um, Silently Seduced. It's an amazing book, and that book really, really helped me make sense of the things I went through. This is a happy moment filled out by Ava, and uh, she writes, This year I've been coping with a rape and sexual assault and abuse that happened at 17. I'm 27 now. With the help of my therapist, I've been uncovering things week by week that helped me fully acknowledge and work through what happened to me. I used to get constant nightmares with someone forcing themselves on me. It was pleasurable, but I can't say anything to stop it. Um, after acknowledging my rape and sexual assault, I don't have these dreams and it's a happy moment to not wake up in panic and to know it wasn't my fault. I was also able to realize, uh, this panic dream 
is my sexual assault, and just because something's pleasurable to your body doesn't mean it wasn't mentally traumatizing. Another happy moment. I've started to talk to a guy I met through work, and we become friends. It was a happy moment to realize I have a new friend who genuinely listens to me. This friendship is helping me trust again, not move so fast in relationships, and realize that I believe I can heal and find a good person to love and trust. It's so awesome. Any comments to make the podcast better? The fear-offs really helped me in my therapy. I started creating lists as I don't like journaling, and it helps me get on paper what I'm thinking and feeling and figure things out. I love hearing that. Every once in a while, I'll get an email from somebody who says that they and their partner will do a fear-offs and love-offs with each other, and that it has brought them closer together. Uh, This is a happy moment filled out by a guy who calls himself afraid to kill myself, afraid to live, for it might kill me. Uh, He writes, after managing and suffering from a clinical depression for 23 of my 33 years on this blue marble, I was just diagnosed with bipolar 2. It was probably the happiest day of my life. I found out that this is why the meds I took in my 20s didn't work. This is why I've been suddenly more suicidal than normal, than go for a week training for a century ride, 100 miles on a bicycle, and then back to being suicidal, depressed, hopeless, and not even touching a bike. This was my first hypomanic episode, which sent up red flags for my psychologist. A psychiatrist diagnosed me. My psychologist said afterwards uh, that that is what she thought had happened. I'm lucky to have a therapist that saw my new behaviors for what it was and not overlook them. Other than the extreme excessive speeding, my hypomanic episode felt pretty good, if I'm honest. I think it's lucky that I'm a really good driver because I was driving way too fast. Don't worry, I wasn't slaloming through cars. But I know it was dangerous and bad. Anyway, even though I'm so angry that I have to take meds, which I now am, I'm so happy that I've pinpointed the thing that has caused my loved ones and myself so much pain throughout my life. Having the correct diagnosis is huge for treatment plans, and I'm now a bit more hopeful than before I was diagnosed. I'm happy to think that the meds might give me a fighting chance to manage my bipolar depression well enough to be able to live a normal, weird life. That would be a good name for uh, a podcast, uh, a normal, weird life. Uh, Being an average person would be really nice. Fuck, that would be awesome. I'll give it a year and see how things go. One other perk is I get to help end the stigma in this country by being open about having bipolar too. I've always been this way with my clinical depression and anxiety, but there seems to be a larger negative stigma with the word bipolar. So now I'm off to fight and manage the correct enemy. While having the correct name is nice, managing and treating the symptoms is always the goal. What a beautiful, beautiful survey. Thank you so much for that. Um, I, I, I sometimes feel like we don't um, talk about the whole med thing enough on the podcast. Um, and I'm not pro-med or anti-med. Uh, each person is different, but I don't think it's good to ever rule out needing meds. Um, I have a friend, actually, it's the one that I mentioned earlier in the podcast, who was having thoughts. Um, and what she had described was normal. Everybody has dark thoughts. But after we recorded this, they progressed to the point where she was saying things like, 
you know, um, every car I passed on the license plate here, um, had three six sixes in it, uh, three sixes in it. And, you know, she would have passed 200 cars on the way here. And she was clearly hallucinating. And it turns out that she has, um, bipolar, um, and, and when she goes into a manic state, uh, she gets into a state of paranoia and psychosis. And she refuses to take meds. And I, since 2014, have watched her destroy her life. I have tried to help. It's been a painful lesson in having to have boundaries and not enabling someone who doesn't want to help themselves. Um, it's heartbreaking seeing what someone's unwillingness to accept a different perspective or to take meds will do to their life. And the last I knew, she was in jail for, um, I don't remember specifically what it was that she was disrupting, but um, please don't ever rule it out. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Kat. She's straight in her 20s, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment, never been sexually abused, uh, emotionally or physically abused, not sure. Uh, I say that I'm not sure it was emotional abuse because I sometimes feel that it is something that happens in most households. That doesn't mean it's not sexual or uh, uh, emotional abuse. My father died when I was five, and my mother met my stepfather when I was 11 or 12. They got married when I was 15. I had typical teenage complications with my parents. We would argue and fight often about things I no longer remember. My stepfather has a lot of rage inside of him. He is quick to anger, and he is very moody. He would often call me a bitch and scream at my sister and I. We often... Calling uh, a child a, uh, a bitch and screaming at them is emotional abuse. Um, we often felt like we were walking on eggshells around him, afraid to cause him to crack for panicking, for packing the dishwasher, quote, wrong. My parents went to therapy a few years ago, and that helped a lot. Uh, any positive experiences with them? I have a good relationship with my parents now. Uh, I no longer live at home, and I feel that that has helped in a lot of ways. Uh, I went to a few therapy sessions with them, and I feel that has helped us in our relationship. Also, me becoming an adult and trying to communicate better with my parents has helped. Giving them the silent treatment for three weeks never really worked in my favor anyway. Um, Darkest thoughts. I'm ashamed to admit I often think about dying tragically, like in a car accident, and the people who would be saddened by my death. That is such a common thing. I think we all think about that because we want to know that we matter. We want to know that we're loved, but we don't have to die to, to know that. You know, we can, we can get to that place by cutting toxic people out of our life or limiting our exposure to them and surrounding ourselves with people that aren't afraid to tell us what we mean to them, that they love us, that they value us. I've done it, and it's fucking amazing. Um, I'm ashamed to think my anxiety isn't as important or worth bringing up with my family because my sister is severely depressed, and I don't feel my problems are as valid as hers. <clears throat> it is not a contest, and your struggle is so fucking valid. 
Darkest Secrets. Uh, As children, my sister and I used to experiment with each other, kissing and that sort of thing. I know it's something that is pretty common, but I still feel shame about it. It's super common. Um, And I don't think it's abnormal. Um, Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Double penetration is something I think about, but I don't know if it's something I could actually go through with. Sharing that makes me feel slightly embarrassed. I have never told anyone that before, not even my boyfriend. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish I could handle my anxiety better and not feel like I'm a second away from crashing and burning. I also wish that I could help my sister more. I love her with my whole heart, but I feel that she pushes me away. This then causes me to wake up in the night with panic attacks, which I wish I no longer had to experience. Um, I've shared some of these things with the therapist my mother took me to as a child and also with a therapist at my high school. It didn't go well. My mother thought I was attacking my stepfather for no reason. We overcame this, but it took longer than I had hoped. From what you've shared, I would not have your family be the first people you go to um, to share your feelings and your thoughts. I would go to a therapist first and help sort out what's really going on so that you can kind of um, have a game plan if you decide you want to share what you're thinking and feeling uh, within your family. Um, but you're, you're, she, she writes, I don't know if my problems are actually valid. They are so valid. They are so valid. Um, and, you know, I always talk about the... Uh, serendipity of one survey just fitting perfectly after another one and this is the survey that um, I think just fits so perfectly after yours Um, through reading of others experience this is filled out by uh, an agender person who calls themselves salad through reading of others experiences in years past I've had two aha moments in my life that were so important to my development and helped me to put things in perspective and I'd like to share so that someone else can maybe have the same experience number one my mom's problems are not mine I can't fix them nor should I take them personally they may have messed me up so badly but that's the past and I can only choose how they affect me now number two I used to be so self-conscious, constantly thinking that everyone was watching me. But then I read somewhere, what makes you so special? Of all the people around, why would everyone focus on you and only you? The people you think are watching you, do they have literally nothing else to do? And are they not doing their own things, listening to their own thoughts, deciding what to make for dinner, worrying about bills, trying to get a song out of their head? Why are you so special that you are all they can think about? Um... I would love for that to be phrased a little bit differently because I do believe that people are special, but we are not unique in our uh, fears and our the emotions that we struggle with. Um, that's that's kind of for me that uh, how I like to phrase that. Um, but thank you, thank you for that. It's. It's so hard sometimes to to not take the world personally. Driving in traffic is the best way to practice not taking things personally. Uh, and finally, this is a happy moment filled out by Nissa, and um, 
She writes, uh, the year after I was raped, I took up running as a coping skill. Anger about antipathy from authorities was never far. I took to running on a lightly used snowmobile trail. There was always something incredibly serene about the snowy woods. On one of my runs, I got about six miles into the woods before I decided to stop. I just took 10 minutes to enjoy the silence. There was something incredibly peaceful about the fresh fallen snow on the trees and the rush of the nearby stream. At that moment, all the world was lost and nothing mattered. That serenity was sublime. Eventually, I turned and ran the six miles back, reveling in my newfound serenity. I think things are going to be okay. Fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, I had a moment like that when I was, um, <laughs> like everything uh, I used to do, I, I could never do it in moderation. So I would find an interest in something and then I had to go do it to the extreme. So I got interested in camping. And of course, that meet, meant that I needed to go uh, camping in the winter in the Sierra Nevadas on skis. And uh, it was so physically difficult. And one night we get to camp and the sun is setting and we're on this ridge line, but we're, it's a little depression, figures, uh, in this ridge line where it's like a little bowl sheltered from the wind. And it had been snowing for, I don't know, maybe a couple of hours. Um, and there was really almost no wind. And we set up camp. And I put my warm booties on and my big down jacket with the down hood, like every warm piece of gear that I could find. And and I walked around the camp and I found this, this snowbank that hadn't been touched. And it was like a marshmallow. And I just laid back into it. And it was like the softest recliner. And there was no wind and nobody was speaking. There was no movement. And the only thing that I could hear was the snowflakes hitting the hood of my jacket. Just little like tick, tick, tick. And I felt my body change. It, there is something about nature that is so um, perspective changing, um, attitude adjusting that if you don't get out into nature regularly, I highly recommend it because um, those of us that do, uh, I think almost all of us have had some type of life-altering, for the better, uh, experience out and about there. Did I just say out and about there? <laughs> oh my God, why don't I go get a Tim Horton bear claw? A little joke there for my Canadian friends. Um Thank you for uh, listening. Thank you for supporting the show if you're a supporter of the show. Um, thank you for filling out the surveys. Thank you for um, just helping uh, helping me have somebody to talk to. <laughs> if you didn't listen, I wouldn't be doing this. I, God knows what I'd be. I'd probably be at some comedy club, fucking miserable. Anyway, um, Never forget that you're not alone. And um, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.
Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely.